I think this sermon will take two days. Because <laughs> you have so many problems. There's just so much to deal with. But I, I do intend to spend two days on uh, something this morning and tomorrow, Lord willing. Proverbs chapter 1, look with me at verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. God has commanded us to rebel. God has commanded us to be rebellious. Now, normally we think of rebellion as something wicked. We think of the word rebellion, we think of someone that is anti-God or anti-Word of God, someone who is resisting truth, someone who's running from God, they are rebellious. And, and we use that word to describe or stereotype a group of people who are not in sync with God. And we would recognize that rebellion has some serious consequences as it did with King Saul, where Samuel told him rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. We think of rebellion in a negative way. But here in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10, God commands us to rebel. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Rebel. Refuse. Resist, run. We need some intentional rebels on the campus of West Coast Baptist College. Now I want to speak to you these next two days about intentional rebels. I'm calling on this student body to rebel, to live in a state of rebellion, intentional rebellion. When sinners entice you, when sin knocks at your door, when the devil tries to get you off track, you must intentionally rebel. Now, Proverbs is a wonderful book. I hope you're reading it daily. I hope that you spend some time in Proverbs on a regular basis. It is a good practice to read from the book of Proverbs every day because it's a book of wisdom. It's a book that tells us what we need to embrace over and over again, God tells us to embrace that which is godly. We're to embrace people that are wise. We're to embrace people that are pure and holy. We're to embrace those that have authority, that can teach us. 
We're to embrace those who uh, are industrious, those who are humble, those who listen to authority. We're to embrace these people, these types of things in our life. But I want you to look with me in the book of Proverbs. And I'm not going to go in these two sermons to any other place in the Bible. We're going to just stick in the book of Proverbs. Every verse I use in this little study these next two days is going to come from the book of Proverbs. While there's a lot of support scripture for what Proverbs deals with here, but let's look in the book of Proverbs at those to whom we are commanded to intentionally rebel against. There's a lot of people listed in Proverbs that we're to embrace. We're to, we're to embrace those who fear the Lord. We're to embrace those who are wise. We're to embrace those that are godly. We're to embrace those who are industrious. We're to embrace those that are good stewards of what God's given them. There are a lot of things in the Bible that we're supposed to make a part of our life. But there also is a list of people that we are to rebel against. Intentional rebels. Intentionally rebel. The first are listed here in our text. The evil. We are to intentionally rebel against those who are evil. In verse 11, if they say, come with us, let us lie, wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as they that go down into the pit. We are to rebel against evil. When sin presents itself, when sin comes tempting us, when sin presents itself and offers us an opportunity to engage, we are to rebel, we are to refuse, we are to resist, we are to run away. I'm afraid sometimes we treat sin like a bother rather than a beast. There's no such thing as a little sin. For there is no such thing as a little God to sin against. When we sin, when we give in to temptation to do evil, we are sinning against a holy God. We are sinning against a righteous God. We're sinning against our God. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 19, as righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. When we don't have the fortitude, when we don't have the spiritual courage to rebel against evil, we're planning our death. We're planning our spiritual suicide. In Proverbs 4 and verse 14, enter not into their path, of the, in, into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Pass away, God says. Rebel. Is there a roommate that's trying to get you to do wrong right now? Somebody needs to intentionally rebel. Girls, is there a guy that's trying to get you to do wrong right now? Someone needs to intentionally rebel. Is there somebody back home that's already trying to lure you away from God's call in your life, God's plan for your life? 
You must rebel. Is there somebody at work? Proverbs 29, 6, in the transgression of an evil man, there is a snare. The devil is plotting a trap. He is allowing these people to come into your life to try to get you to go away that is going to be your own death. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. If we want a hard life, then just give in to wrong. Just give in to sin. Just give in to evil. Just hang around the wrong crowd. Just get with the wrong influence. When I was a freshman in college, I I came from a public school. I went to a high school of about 600 uh, students. and There was only one girl in that high school, to my knowledge, that was saved. Her name was Carol. Carol had a, a good testimony. She wasn't very well liked. But she stood up for Christ, and she had a good testimony. But Carol was the only other Christian that I knew of in my high school. So going to that high school, you interacted with a lot of people that talked about sin and talked about wickedness and talked about what they did on the weekend. And I was exposed, I suppose, to a lot of influences that could have been very detrimental to my life. So when I went to Bible college, I kind of went with the idea that I don't have to worry about that anymore. There were some things I was going to have to worry about, but one of them was not going to be a wrong influence, I figured. You know, all these kids are saved. All these kids want to be here. All these kids love the Lord. They're all, they're all coming here to train to serve God. And I thought, I, don't, I can kind of let my guard down about who I'm around or who I hang with or, you know, because they're all saved. In high school, I had to be careful. In high school, I had to kind of watch out for some people because I knew they were going down the wrong path and I, I didn't want to get involved in, 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 in that destruction. So when I went to college, a Bible college, I thought, you know, this, this is going to be easy. By the end of my first semester, my three best friends, Mark, Mario, and Pete, had all been expelled. And it was at that moment that I woke up from my dream. And though I had become friends with these guys and had kind of hung out with them, and we had done some things together, and, and, and I kind of enjoyed, uh, you know, some, of, uh, some time with them, and, and, and we became good friends. But as they began to do things that were sinful and got caught, all of a sudden they're gone. And it was at that moment in my life I realized, you know, I, I'm in a Bible college, but there's some wrong people here. There's some influences here that i got to be careful about. And I'm thankful for some counsel and some instruction from, from some teachers and from some coaches in my life that said, John, you've got to stay away from the wrong influence. There's wrong influence in Bible college. There, there's people that are here for the wrong reason. There are people here that are not sold out to God. There are people here that have no intention of serving God. You've got to be careful. And I'm thankful that I woke up at that point pretty much because I thought, if I don't watch my steps, I'll probably be the next one expelled out of here. 
because I was doing some of those same things that Pete was doing and Mario was doing and Mark was doing and I thought they've just been here a little bit longer and now they've, they've gotten debarrassed and they've gotten kicked out and I'm probably next in line. I better change my ways. I better start rebelling against evil. There are wicked people all around us. Wicked people on the internet. Wicked people on social media. Wicked people in Lancaster. Rebel. I wonder how many students over the last 27 years now at West Coast would be in the harvest today if they had just rebelled against evil. I wonder how many students have sat in these seats and put in time in classes and gone to activities like the luau and enjoyed the fellowship with Bible college students who are saved and believe some of the same things they did, but because they did not say no to an evil influence, a harvest field somewhere in this world remains white and ready to fall to the ground because somebody didn't intentionally rebel. The evil. Notice the second category of people in Proverbs, the egoistical. The egoistical. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination unto the Lord. In Proverbs 8 and verse 13, the fear of the Lord uh, is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, the evil man, and the forward mouth do I hate. When God comes across pride, when God comes across the egoistical, when God sees us elevating ourselves above where it ought to be, God rebels. God runs. The proud he knoweth afar off. How are you dealing with pride in your own life? We need to rebel against that pride when it begins to swell. We're complimented. We do something well. We achieve something. And all of a sudden, the devil comes with this temptation of pride to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But remember, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The Lord hath uh, 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 mercy on the humble. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. He that exalteth his gate seeketh destruction. When we exalt ourselves, when we lift ourselves up, when we put ourselves on a pedestal, when we say, hey, look at me, we seek our own destruction. That's why Proverbs 27, 2 says, let another man praise thee and not thy own mouth, a stranger and not thy own lips. It's not good to eat much honey. That means it's not good to have seconds on dessert. That can be a problem if you keep doing it. It's not good to eat much honey. In other words, there's a purpose for something sweet in our life. We enjoy the sweetness of, of honey or the sweetness of dessert or chocolate or whatever it is, but it's not good to eat too much of it. 
It's not good to eat much honey. Soul for men to search their own glory is not glory. When we lift ourselves up, when we promote ourselves, when we are always on this pedestal and saying, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing, God says we're, 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 we're destroying ourselves. God honors the humble. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit by humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. You want to have success. You want to have blessing. You want to have favor of God. Young people, learn to live a humble life. Rebel against the proud. I get to meet a lot of people traveling and going to different churches. And I'll tell you, there's a common theme that runs through people that are used of God. There's just a common theme that runs through what we might call greatness. As we look at people and we see what their lives are accomplishing for God, when you find people like that, you're going to find a common thread that runs through all of them, and it's the thread of humility. They've learned to humble themselves before God. When I was a boy growing up, going to church, I, I heard the name Paul Levine. I heard that name mentioned from the pulpit. I heard people talk about this evangelist, Paul Levine. I heard little facts about Paul Levine, like Paul Levine was saved in the state of Iowa at the age of four. Four years old, he got saved. And at age four, he was called to preach. Don't underestimate those children's ministries you're involved in. Don't you dare treat that like, like babysitting. You have ministry. Paul Levine was saved at four. He was called to preach at four. His mother said when he was called to preach at four, he would come home on Sunday nights, he would get his little New Testament, he would jump up on the piano stool, and he'd start preaching. Just try to preach what the pastor preached that night. Paul Levine finished high school at the age of 15 and went immediately into evangelism. Never went to college. Finished school early. Started traveling as an evangelist all over Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois. If you go to any of those six states I just mentioned and you mention tomorrow the name Paul Levine in a church, you'll have somebody come up to you and say, I was saved under Paul Levine. Happens all the time. He started traveling as an evangelist at 15. Couldn't drive a car. Couldn't get a license. Had to walk or hitchhike or take public transportation. But he began to travel and preach. By age 17, he had a singer that traveled with him. His name was Bob Finley. Bob Finley was completely blind. But Paul and Bob would play their mandolins and they would sing and they would draw crowds everywhere they went and Paul Levine would preach. And God was using this young evangelist. He started a Bible program on the radio out of Waterloo, Iowa called Bible Echoes and was on the, on the radio six days a week preaching the gospel. He established Bible Tracks Incorporated, a ministry that has printed millions of tracks in hundreds of languages. I, was, I walked into my second home the other day, Flying J Truck Stop. I stopped at Flying J a lot. And I, I, I pulled in, I went in to use the restroom. And I, I opened the door of the stall, and as when I opened it, two tracks fell on the ground in front of me. One was in English, one was in Spanish. 
And they were both printed by Bible Traction Incorporated, a ministry still carrying on today, long after Paul Levine's death. Paul Levine, I heard a lot about him, but I never met him. I never heard him preach. Now, I remember as a kid thinking, I hope I meet that guy someday. Every time somebody mentioned him and say something about him, I'd think, I hope I get to hear him preach someday. In 1981, I was preaching at the Faith Baptist Church in Danville, Illinois. And one day a knock came on my trailer door and it was the church secretary. She said, you have a phone call. We didn't have cell phones in those days. We had phones that were connected to the wall. And so when anybody tried to call the evangelist, they would call the church where you were preaching and you had to run in and take the phone call. So I ran into the church. This was a pretty common experience. Ran in the church, followed the secretary in, picked up the phone. I said, hello. And the voice on the other end said, uh, John Getch, this is Dr. Bill Rice III at the Bill Rice Ranch in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I said, well, hello. <laughs> I'd never met Bill Rice III of Bill Rice Ranch in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I'd heard about the ranch. I'd heard about the Rices. I'd heard John R. Rice preach. I heard Joe B. Rice preach. I heard, I heard Pete Rice preach. I heard Bill Rice III preach, but I'd never met him. I knew all about the sword of the Lord and the Bill Rice Ranch. Bill Rice Ranch was started by Bill and Kathy Rice, who had a deaf daughter, and they bought a piece of ground outside of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 1,500 acres, and established the Bill Rice Ranch where people could come and hear the gospel in sign language. I knew about these ministries, but I, I never met anybody from there personally. And I thought, why are you calling me? He said, Brother Gadge, we've never met, but I've heard people talk about your preaching, your ministry, and he said, I'd like to invite you to come and preach a youth week here at the Bill Rice Ranch in the summer of 1983, two years away. He said, do you have your calendar? Well, I always had my calendar. Evangelists always had their calendar. I said, let me look. And I looked, and I had the week free, and he wanted, and I said, let's do it. We made the connection, made the confirmation over the phone, and man, I was excited. I was pumped. I ran back to the trailer. You know why? Not because I was going to get to preach at the Bill Rice Ranch or to a bunch of teenagers. I was excited because I was going to meet Paul Levine. See, the Bill Rice Ranch started in 1953, and it was started to preach the gospel to deaf people, but you don't have enough deaf people to come every week. And so they started doing youth weeks. And in 1953, they did their first week for teenagers, and the speaker that year, first year of teen camp at the ranch, was Paul Levine. And Paul Levine had been the speaker at the Bill Rice Ranch for every youth week since 1953. Now over 30 years. Every time they had a youth week, Paul Levine was the preacher. Some weeks they had six or seven youth weeks. Paul Levine was always there for every youth week. But as the ranch got bigger and more teenagers came, they would invite a second speaker to come and, and do some of the services to take some of that load off of Paul Levine. Well, Dr. Bill was asking me to be that second speaker. Man, I was going to get to meet Paul Levine. I couldn't wait. I remember that week came. We drove to the ranch. And the first night, I walked in the side door of the John R. Rice Auditorium. There were 1,400, 1,400 teenagers sitting in that auditorium ready for the service. 1,400. It was electric. It was amazing. But I didn't even look at them. I just, I just walked in that door, and all I could think about was, I hope I get to meet Paul Levine tonight. I hope I get to meet Paul Levine. 
I walked in, I'm kind of looking for a place to sit. I mean, there's 1,400 people in there. And, 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 and a man came toward me and he put out his hand. He said, welcome to the ranch, Dr. Getch. And it was Bill Rice III. We'd never met. We talked on the phone, but we'd never met. And he introduced himself and he said, uh, he said, welcome to the ranch. And I said, I'm glad to be here. He said, uh, come up on the platform. I want you to meet Dr. Paul. Well, I looked up on the platform. The platform's very high there at the ranch and, and there's, there was nothing on the platform except a piano on one end. And then there was a pew that ran all the way across the top of that platform. It was probably about 30 feet long, one pew all the way across the back. There was no one on that platform. There was nothing else on that platform except the piano in that pew. And sitting on the very end of that pew was Paul Levine. I'd seen a picture of him. That was him. And he was sitting there with his Bible open and a steno notebook hanging out of it. And he had out his pen and he was writing. And I thought, that's him. He's writing a sermon. He's getting ready to preach tonight. And, I th and, and Dr. Bill said, come on up. Let's meet Dr. Paul. I thought, I get to meet him now? Whoa. I followed Dr. Bill up on the platform, and, and he, he interrupted Dr. Paul there, and he said, Dr. Paul, I want you to meet John Getch. Dr. Levine, he, he closed his Bible real quickly. He put his pen away. He jumped up, and he took my hand. He said, Brother Getch. I am so glad to meet you. He said, I can't wait to hear you preach. I thought, hear me preach. I'm here to hear you preach. <laughs> he said, here, sit by me, sit by me. Whoa. <laughs> I sat on that pew next to Dr. Paul. And he opened his Bible, flipped that notebook out, and kept writing on his sermon. Well, I'm trying to read it, but I can't read his handwriting. Well, the service started. Dr. Jim Stoltenborough began leading the music. It was amazing. And we got to the introduction of the speaker, and Dr. Bill got up and he said, Now, tonight, young people, we get to hear in this first service Dr. Paul Levine. Dr. Levine has preached here ever since 1953. He's preached every youth week we've ever had. He's preached uh, hundreds of times and, and, and thousands of sermons. He said, Dr. Paul, how many sermons have you preached just here at the ranch? How many times have you preached here in this pulpit at the ranch? Well, Dr. Paul, he's over here. He's not even listening to the introduction. He's still writing a sermon. <laughs> but he heard his name. And so he, his head kind of bopped up and he said, uh... Uh, 1,042. And, and Dr. Bill said, think of that, young people. 1,042 times this man that you're going to hear tonight is going to preach to us. He went on introducing him. Dr. Paul, he, he kind of punched me in the ribs. And he said, I really don't know how many times I preached. <laughs> he said, all I know is I ran out of sermons a long time ago. <laughs> that was Dr. Paul. Humble. I remember a few years later, we were preaching again together there at the ranch, and it was a difficult week. Teenagers weren't responding real well. And it got to be Thursday night, and it was Dr. Paul's turn to preach, and I could tell he was really burdened. He was weeping as we sat on the platform that night as he was looking at his notes and writing and looking at his Bible text and all through the preliminaries, he was just, you could tell he was just praying that God would break that thing open. During the final special number, I just kind of lightly touched him on the knee and I said, Dr. Paul, I'm praying for you. And he leaned into me and he said, oh, thanks, Brother Gage. 
He said, you know, people tell me, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. I do. But he said, I don't trust the devil. And it was statements like that that began to mold and shape my life and ministry. I don't know how many years ago it was now. I've lost track of the date or time. But I was asked to speak at the church in Menominee Falls, Dr. Van Gelderen, for a conference there. They had an afternoon session that was assigned to me. It was from 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock. Can you imagine listening to me for three hours straight? You think 90 minutes is a problem. I mean, three hours. And it was right after lunch. And everybody had to come to my session. It was the only one offered. And those preachers crowded into that little room, and I did everything I knew to keep them awake. I would have stood on my head and gargled peanut butter if it would have helped, but I did my best. And finally got through the session and, and uh, dismissed everybody, and now it was time to go to dinner and get ready for the big service that night. And I, my job was done. I was going to stay for the next two days, but I had done my session. That's all I was there to do was that one session. And I dismissed everybody, and they all went out the back to get ready for the dinner and service that night. And I was closing up my things, putting things away, and I, I grabbed my Bible, and I started off the platform. And as I started off the platform, everybody was going out the back except for one man. He was feeling his way from pew to pew with his hand. You see, he was completely blind now, or at least legally blind, could see very little. And so he's, he's kind of groping as he's coming down the aisle. On the other hand, he's got that Bible open and that notebook, that spiral notebook hanging out of it. It's Dr. Paul. He's in his 90s now. His wife's already in heaven. His body riddled with cancer. In just two weeks, he would go to join his wife. He's coming down the aisle. And I jumped off that platform. I said, Dr. Paul, Dr. Paul, I didn't know you were here. I didn't see you. Dr. Paul. And he kind of looked. And you could tell it, it, it took a while to focus those eyes to see just a little bit. And you know what he said? He didn't say, hey, Brother Gadge, how you doing? You know what he said? He pointed that notebook, and he said, I missed letter E under point five. What was letter E under point five? I'm thinking, Dr. Paul, you don't need it. I mean, you've been preaching for a half a century. You know the Bible like the back of your hand. You don't need letter E under point five in my dumb homiletical outline. And besides, you're going to die in two weeks. Just go over there and sit down and wait. <laughs> I didn't say that. I was thinking it. I said, oh, Dr. Paul, you don't need it. Tears began to just flow down his face. He said, oh, Brother Getch, I do need it. I need to love God more. I want to know the Bible better. Please, what was letter E under point five? That was Paul Levine. 
humility. Young people, when pride raises its ugly head, you're going to accomplish some great things this semester. You're going to lead people to Christ. You're going to be used in ministry. You're going to graduate from here, and you're going to go out, and you're going to turn this world upside down. But you've got to rebel against pride. You must intentionally rebel against the egoistical. Number three, the extravagant. Did you know that money isn't everything? Do you know that stuff really doesn't matter? Stuff never satisfies. Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 23, 4, labor not to be rich. Many of you are getting good jobs. You're getting work. You're getting employment. But don't labor to be rich. The devil's going to tempt you. He's going to bring some good things your way. But God says, wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. This stuff we put in our pocket called money, these things that we can buy with it, it's all going to fly away. It's all going to burn up. I was out soul winning with an elderly pastor years ago. His name was Reuben Ezra Kyle. His name scared me half to death. Dr. Kyle was a very short man, snow white hair. He had a big face with these jowls that when he talked, they would kind of jiggle. And he had a voice that sounded like God. He was sort of introverted like I am. And we were out soul winning one day together, driving to a house and he wasn't talking, I wasn't talking. We're just riding in silence. Fine with me, fine with him. And just out of the clear blue, he said, John, my wife and I determined a long time ago we weren't going to live for the ashtray. That's all he said. We probably drove another five minutes before we said anything else. I will never forget that. And what he meant was, we're not going to live for stuff that's going to burn. And I don't know if Dr. Kyle saw something in my life that perhaps indicated to him that I was living for the material or I was living for the temporal, but I'm thankful for the admonition. Because it caused me to realize that I need to live simply so that others can simply live. We get all wound up in the extravagant and the things that life has to offer and money has to buy. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. There is that make themselves rich, yet hath nothing. There is that make themselves poor, yet hath great riches. Young people learn to stay away from the trap of materialism, of things Learn to give, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all that increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. You want God's blessing? You want God to meet needs? He will, he promises to when you honor the Lord with your substance. He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord and that which he hath given will he, God, pay him again. 
You know, too many people have to pray over what they give because they never pray over what they spend. Some of you have to pray to give something. You have to pray to be able to give it an offering. You know why you have to pray to give? Because you never pray about what you spend. You just frivolously spend on anything that comes along that's attractive, that you want, that you covet, that you have greed for. And as a result, you can't do the things that God wants you to do with your life. We've got to intentionally rebel against the extravagance of this world and all that it has to offer. Like Moses, say no, rebel, refuse, resist the treasures in Egypt. Knowing there's a greater reward. Fourthly, the erotic. We need some intentional rebellion when it comes to the erotic. God has a plan for the mutual companionship that we all desire with the opposite gender. He has a plan. It's called marriage. In fact, in Proverbs, he says in chapter 18, verse 22, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. And I don't believe that's said just to the men. I think that works either way. Whoso findeth a a, a good husband findeth a good thing. I think it's meant to go either way because God is for marriage. God is the one who instituted it. God is the one who blesses it. And throughout the book of Proverbs, God warns against a relationship outside of that marriage institution. He describes that person to his son in Proverbs as the strange woman. And you'll find that phrase often in the book of Proverbs, beware the strange woman. In other words, watch out, rebel against that strange woman that's trying to destroy the plan that God has designed for you. In Proverbs 9, in verse 13, a foolish woman is clamorous. She's simple and knoweth nothing. She, she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers that go on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in thither. And as for her, him that, him that uh, uh, wasteth understanding, he, she saith to him, stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. This strange woman is going to try to get you to do something in secret, something that's going to be fun, something that's going to be enticing, something that's going to be satisfying. Let's do it in secret. Stolen waters. That which God has not given you in marriage, that which God has not provided, steal that. It'll be sweet. It'll be awesome. It'll satisfy. But verse 18 finishes that passage by saying that this simple man, he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. This erotic, this strange woman, this hedonistic culture that says eat, drink, and be merry. Let's just live it up. Let's just enjoy our flesh. Let's just do whatever we want to do. Hey, it's fun. It's pleasant. It's stolen. It's not really ours, but let's enjoy it. What we don't realize is the debtor in that house. Her guests are in the depths of hell. 
The lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb. Her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Remove thy foot from her. Come not near the door of her house. Rebel! Proverbs chapter 7 is an entire chapter. It's the only chapter in Proverbs that's a narrative or a story. But a young man that gives in to the erotic. In the end of that chapter, it says, He goeth after her straightway as an ox to the slaughter, as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. We better intentionally rebel. Some of you need to rebel against that pocket prostitute you have. I'm talking about your phone, your pocket prostitute, guys. When are you going to say no? When are you going to start running? When are you going to intentionally rebel about that which is striking you through to destroy you? The erotic. Let me cover one more. The effortless. Can I encourage you to rebel against this socialistic welfare culture that we're living in? Somebody's got to rebel against this. God didn't make us to sit around and receive checks from the government. It's not how he made us. You're going to be miserable if you don't rebel against the effortless. Because God says in all labor there's profit. But the talk of the lips tends only to punery. You've got to learn how to work. You've got to learn how to put your hand to the plow. You've got to learn to put some effort into life. It's the only way to be fulfilled. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. But he that gathereth by labor shall increase. These are the promises of God. This isn't what... I'm not going to name politicians I'd like to. Our government today wants us to think we're all going to be happy. Just go to the mailbox and get your check. We'll supply for you. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy wants as an armed man. Love not sleep. That's the Bible. I love, I need sleep. Love not sleep. Lest thou come to poverty. And thine eyes shall be, shall be satisfied with bread. 
Listen, God will provide. God will make a way. But we've got to be industrious. We've got to labor. God will bless you in so many ways if you have a mind to work. What a great testimony Brother Weaver shared about this team that just put their, their sleeves up and went to work. And God noticed them. God, people noticed them. They made a difference. What a testimony. These 12 people are going to go over here in a minute and, 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 and see Dr. R. Why? Because they labored. They accomplished something. When I started out in evangelism, I didn't have meetings every week. I, 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 I wasn't preaching every week. But I had to put food on the table. I had, to, I had to provide for my wife. And so I went down to a temporary work service. It was called Manpower Incorporated. And I put in my application. And Manpower, they, if they needed somebody to work for a day or a week or whatever time you had, they would hire you. And so whenever I was home for meetings, I, I, I never took days off. I just would go home and I'd call Manpower. There was a girl there, her name was Lisa. She was the receptionist. I said, Lisa, I'm home for two days. Get me a job. And every job I worked for Manpower, whether it was for a day or a week, one job at Vitamins Incorporated, I worked there for almost a year in and out. Everyone, everybody I worked for, they wanted to hire me. I was working at Vitamins Incorporated. It was unloading railroad cars, 100-pound bags of wheat germ. These railroad cars would come in from Kansas with this raw grain, and they were 100-pound sacks, and we had to load them onto pallets and then take them inside this Vitamins Incorporated, and they would convert them into some kind of a granule form that then they would put in 100-pound sacks, and we had to load them back on the trains. They'd go to Battle Creek, Michigan, where they made cornflakes. Our job was to unload and load railroad cars, 100-pound bags of wheat germ. We had to unload or load three railroad cars a day. And they would put two guys on a team loading these pallets with these 100-pound bags. Well, you know, I, I was pretty close to co just coming out of college, playing football, that kind of thing, and I enjoyed the job. I, it, it helped me stay in shape. It's like lifting weights all day long. My goal was to get more bags on that pallet than my partner. We had to put 20 bags on that pallet, and my goal was to get 18 to his, his 12. Usually, because the guys they put to work with me, guys that were on marijuana and smoking weed and getting drunk every night, I could get about, I could usually get 14 to their six. And it wasn't long until the, the boss called me in. And he said, John, you're out working these guys. I said, well, I'm, I'm trying to. I just, I like to work. He said, well, we're going to have to put two guys with you to keep up. So they put two guys with me. So I made it my goal to still outwork them. One day the owner of the company called me in. He was a Muslim. I'd never met him. He called me in his office. I thought I was in trouble. I thought I'd done something wrong. He called me in and he sat me down. He said, John, why do you work so hard? I said, well, sir, I'm a Christian. And you're paying me. And I believe you deserve my best. He said, John, my car's in the shop. He said, I need a ride after work to pick it up. Would you take me? I'd like to talk to you about Christianity. I got to witness that man for over an hour. 
in that car that night. I didn't see him trust Christ, the Savior, that day. But I got to witness to him. You know why? Because I knew how to work. God is going to let you sleep at night very well when you learn to work. God is going to fulfill your life when you learn to work. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday. He's, he was, he's the song leader at the church where I preached. He's 77 years old. He's had a liver transplant 20 years ago. He's still teaching in college. Drives every day to a, a college of 40 miles away and teaches. I asked him last night after I was about to leave, I said, how long are you going to keep teaching? He said, you know, I just really enjoy it. He said, I asked my boss, do you want me to quit? I'm 77. He said, no, don't you dare. You're our best teacher. You know, that man is filled with joy. Serving God at his church. He's 77. He should be sitting in a rocking chair. He should be clipping coupons on his retirement checks. But he said, I'd probably die if I quit working. I enjoy working. I enjoy those kids. I teach in a, in a university. He said, after every class, people come up, can I talk to you? And after everybody leaves, they say, are you a Christian? God will bless you when you say no to the effortless. It's common. It's everywhere around us. We're getting paid not to work. We need to rebel. Intentional rebels. 